Thank you for joining us for the lessons from First Naz Podcast. I invite you to turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 1. I'm going to preach from Mark chapter 1 this morning. If I can find the button on my tablet here, I'll even have words to preach to you. Um, so I'm in Mark chapter 1. I, uh, I've said I w- I'm kind of interested in sharing just a little bit about myself these days as uh, we're getting to know each other. I have, a, I have a kind of a secret sort of strange fascination and uh, my secret sort of strange fascination, I think a lot of people are fascinated with passports. I'm really fascinated with passports. And uh, it's not that strange. Perhaps it's that strange. They think it's that strange, Facebook land. Um, I, uh, I, I, brought, I, I brought from our house um, our passports, and I left them in my office. I was going to show you my passport, but I, I, I forgot it. Oh, well. And uh, over these last few years, I've been really blessed that I've been able to see like people, other people's passports from other countries. It's really fascinating to see what other passports are like, and they're in different languages, and they, they have different stamps in them. It's interesting to me, anytime you enter another country, they, they stamp your passport, and it's always really interesting to me to see the stamps in different people's passports. I bet Paul and Carolyn have some interesting stamps in their passports. Uh, I have a bunch of stamps from Ecuador in my passport. It's just brown and boring, and it's just and, and it's a little disappointing. But I've got a bunch of them, so that's kind of cool too. And um, and I'm re- I'm really interested in in how passports how we how we can be identified by our passports. So as missionaries. Sometimes we talk about uh, our passport, the way our passports identify us, uh, and we talk about our passport culture. So we talk about the culture from the, the country that issued our passport, and that's like our identifying passport, or that's our identifying culture, that's our native culture. And, uh, and then we talk as missionaries not only about our passport culture, but our, our host culture, or the culture in which we serve. And then, and then we talk about our kids as being like really mixed up and weird about their culture, and uh, the, the our kids become what is is known as third culture kids, and so they they become kids that have roots in the culture, their passport culture, the culture where their parents are generally from, and and have like they they have a, a good deal of understanding in their passport culture. But then there are also many, many missionary kids. Our, uh, Rose Evelyn lived more time, has lived more time of her life in Ecuador than she has in the United States. And so she is very deeply rooted in the culture of Ecuador. And, uh, and she, has, she has gaps. Both our girls have gaps in their understanding, both of the culture here in the United States and, and there in Ecuador. And so like, they, they manage really well like, you guys don't notice any of their gaps uh, because they manage really well, and we try to help them, but uh, they have gaps. And they manage both cultures. Like, in Ecuador, people are like, why don't you get it like your kids get it to us? Because our kids get it, right? And we're like, why are, the, why are the Ecuadorians doing this? And our kids are like, because that's how it's done. And they, they just get it. Um, do you want to hear just like a real small example of this? I have a great example of this. So uh, yesterday, we went to a restaurant, and uh, our oldest daughter was offered three options for a, a beverage. She was offered milk. She knows what milk is. 
She was offered juice. She's very familiar with juice. She was offered a fountain drink. She had never heard the word fountain drink. She didn't know what a fountain drink was. And I knew that she would want pop, soda, whatever you, you call it. I knew that that's what she wanted. But she, she just like hesitated. And I could see in like her, her mind trying to figure out what was just said to her. And so I said, a, a fountain drink is soda. And she said, fountain drink. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so that's just an example of like the kinds of strange, like you never, never would have expected that to be a moment where, and I confirmed with her afterward that like, yeah, she, she did not know, she had never heard fountain drink before. And so uh, it's just a, an amazing, or not amazing, it's just kind of a weird, like, gap in, in her knowledge and, and, like, how how she, the words she's heard in, over the course of her life. So that's passports and third culture kids. I'm, gonna, I'm going to transition abruptly now <laughs> to, uh, to talking about Lent. I'm, I'm going to try to get back there, but I don't know if I will. Um, I, I'm going to transition abruptly now. Uh, remember that during Lent, I've invited you to fast with me, um, to, to either fast from something that you would miss that would remind you to pray during the course of your week, or to fast for a day during each week. And I, I'm inviting you to, to join me in that. I'm going to be trying to send a weekly video uh, via Facebook and email so that you can have something to think about as you fast. This week it was a minute long. It was like 58 seconds. So it's not a it's not a long video that I'll share with you. It won't get you through 24 hours of fasting, but it will. Uh, it'll get you started. It'll get you there. So uh, I'm, today I'm uh, looking at a story from the very beginning of Jesus's ministry. All through Lent I'll be looking at stories from Jesus's life from the Gospels, and I'm in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter one. Mark has no introductory material about Jesus. He, Mark thinks that Jesus is important as soon as his ministry begins, his public life. And so he doesn't tell the story of Jesus's birth. He doesn't talk about Jesus's family. He, and, and even this first chapter is super, super, super scant on details. There are, there are no details in Mark chapter one. And so I'm, I'm going to just like tell you there are no details. And I'm going to get to uh, Mark 1, verses 14 and 15 really quickly. But before I do, I'm just going to tell you that he starts talking about John the Baptist, who was sent by God to announce Jesus is coming. And then uh, as soon as we see Jesus, he's a fully formed human man, and he's, he's just there, and he gets baptized by Jesus, and God honors his baptism. God speaks out of the sky He's, uh, this is amazing to me. God's voice is heard on earth. I wish I was there. Uh, and, and there's a voice out of the sky that says, this is my beloved son uh, with whom I am well pleased. Uh, the, the New Living Translation that I use a lot says, you are my dearly loved son and uh, you bring me great joy. I love that. I love God talking about how joyful he is uh, about Jesus. It's, it would be worth a sermon here, but I'm going to move on. And uh, I'm going to move on. After Jesus' baptism, again, like no details, but Jesus goes into the wilderness. He fasts for 40 days, and he's tempted by Satan, 
And then he, he shows up in verse 14, ready to do ministry. And so here it is in verse 14. I'm le- reading from the New Living Translation. It's up here in the screen. And uh, it says, Mark tells us, later on, after G- John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Okay, so John's super scant on details, so I've got an hour and a half of details to share with you. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to fill in with all the details that John is missing here, and uh, I'm uh, you're just going to have to bear with me uh, because there's a lot of details that I want to share. John, to understand Jesus's uh, announcement here, he says, uh, "The kingdom of God is near." This, this is the key announcement at the beginning of Jesus's ministry. This is the key to understanding Jesus's ministry on earth. And, and so I, wanna, I want to remind you just a little bit, a little bit about who Jesus is in, in his history, because Mark, he doesn't, he doesn't give us any information about who, who Jesus was before he started his ministry. But I'll just remind you that Jesus was a Jewish person. He was a Jew. And so the Old Testament, the Old Testament tells Jesus's story. The Old Testament tells the story that Jesus would have grown up being told, this is your story. You are one of these people. And so the story begins in Genesis with the patriarchs, the fathers of the family of Israel. They get taken into slavery in Egypt. They get released from slavery miraculously by God. And when they're released from slavery as the family of Israel, they start to become the nation of Israel. And then they move into the land that God promised them, and they're, they're super, super spread out and disorganized. And every once in a while, in these first few, few hundred years, every once in a while, God says, it's too crazy, and uh, he sends a judge to sort of organize things and put things back together, and then the judge takes off, and it's crazy again. And, uh, and then the people... The people say, we want a king. They start praying to God. They say, God, we want a king. We want to be like other nations. And God says, no, you can't have a king. And they say, no, we want a king. And finally they won. And God says, uh, here, you can have a king. And the first king, he didn't work out very well. But the second king, the second king was David. And, and uh, David was, uh, was the best king that God's people ever experienced. Uh, during David's reign, when David was king, uh, the nation of Israel was powerful. People did not mess with Israel when David sat on the throne in Jerusalem. Uh, when, uh, when David was king, the people in Israel were, were prosperous. They were wealthy. They had, they had sufficient. When David was king, there were taxes, death and taxes, right? There's always taxes. But the taxes were, were supporting David and the army that was protecting the Israelites. And, uh, and it wasn't oppressive on the people. And so when Jesus was born, Jesus was born about a thousand years after David. And when Jesus was born, every living Jewish person would have told you the glory days of the people of Israel, the glory days of God's chosen people were when David was our king. When we had a king, 
on a throne in Jerusalem, and his name was David. Those were the good old days. A thousand years before. Imagine thinking a thousand years before were the glory days and wishing that things would be more like they were a thousand years ago when David was, was king. And so we read in the Old Testament the, the way uh, that from, from David, things went from great to bad, and then from bad to worse. Uh, David's, uh, David's son Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. And he was very rich, very powerful. Things kind of, kind of maintained, but then for all his wisdom, Solomon, David's son, didn't leave a plan for preserving the legacy of his father David. And so the, when, when Solomon died, the, the kingdom of God's people divided among the sons of Solomon. And then they were divided, and bigger, stronger nations that surrounded them came and preyed upon God's chosen people. Uh, it started with the Assyrians, then the Babylonians, then the Persians, then the Greeks, then the Romans. And a thousand years after David, we, we find... In, in history, the Romans being the suppressive force over God's people. They were still in that same, same little square land, plot of land, uh, where, that God had promised them a long time ago, centuries and centuries ago. But they were, they were underneath the thumb of the, of the Romans. And as they were under the th- thumb of, of the Romans... Uh, numerous people, numerous people would occasionally say, hey, we're God's chosen people. We don't need to be under the thumb of the Romans anymore. And they would try to raise an army, and they would try to defeat the Romans, kick the Romans out of Jerusalem. And they were always, they were always defeated. They were always squashed. Because the Romans were just, they were too powerful. They were too big. And, and the word that would be used for, for, uh, well, okay, so during this time, as, as people are rising up, there was great expectation and anticipation that God would one day appoint a king. Um, there was always expectation that things would get back to the way they were when David was king, back to the glory days, right? And, and so there's always hope for that. And as, as these people would rise up and, and raise an army and try to fight the Romans, uh, they... They would say, hey, I'm the king. I'm the one you're looking for. I'm, I'm like David. Follow me, and we will get back to the glory days. And the, the Jews had this, this word for this person that would, was, the word was Messiah. Messiah is just a, a Hebrew word because the, the Jews spoke Hebrew. It's a Hebrew word <laughs> that means uh, anointed one. It means anointed one. And so uh, they were looking for, the Jews were looking for this anointed leader that would come and, and rescue them, kick the, kick the Romans out, establish a kingdom. And uh, when, when God sent Jesus to the Jews, there, there were a lot of different expectations about how the Messiah might show up. So the people were expecting the Messiah to show up. They were expecting that, that there would be a new leader. But they had all kinds of different ideas. There was one group that lived out in the desert, and they thought if, every, if all the Jews would just move out in the desert, away from Roman society, and live purely and perfectly, then God would be so pleased he'd send his Messiah. There was another group that said, 
if we could just live well within, within, underneath the Romans, if we could uh, fulfill the law perfectly, God will be so pleased that he, he will send his Messiah. There was another group that said, if we just worked well as politicians with the Romans, we could, we could do it. And, and the Messiah would show up and, and help us and be a great, great politician, and he would get the Romans to move out. Uh, but we just need to like, work with the Romans a little bit. And so there were all these different ideas that, that people had about how the Messiah might come. And Jesus entered into that political climate, and he said to all these groups, these people that wanted to live out in the desert, and the people that wanted to live purely within, the, within uh, Rome, and the people who wanted to work with the Romans, he said to all these groups, you're right, you're right, God is going to send his Messiah. You're right, the kingdom of God is going to be established here on earth. But, <laughs> but, the, the kingdom is not going to look exactly the way that you hoped. And so from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, like Mark records it, these are the very first words that Mark records Jesus saying in the gospel. From the very, very beginning of his ministry, he says, you're right, the kingdom is coming. The kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is near. Be looking for the kingdom. Watch out for it. And so there were many people who heard Jesus say these things, and, and they began to believe, rightly, that Jesus was God's anointed, that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus was the one who would, who would bring things back together for the Jews. Uh, there were others who didn't, and they thought that Jesus was going to be a false Messiah, that he was going to, to, to die uh, at the hands of the Roman Empire. And so we see, this, we see this contrast all throughout the Gospels. In the Gospels, there's all these stories about people not understanding the type of kingdom that Jesus came to establish. So for example, Jesus' disciple Peter. Jesus' disciple Peter uh, hears Jesus say, I'm going, by the way, I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to die there at the hands of the Romans. And, uh, and Jesus' disciple Peter, he pulls Jesus aside. He says, you can't say that, buddy. You can't say that. He rebukes Jesus uh, because Peter knew that messiahs don't go to Jerusalem and get killed by the Romans. And then uh, the mother of two of, of, of Jesus's other disciples, James and John, their mom, he came, or she came to Jesus and she said, hey, Jesus, when you establish your throne, when you're sitting in, on your throne in Jerusalem, uh, will you just let my son sit at the two most important spots in your kingdom. Uh, that'd be great. Because she knew that Jesus was going to establish a kingdom. He was, he was going to make everybody that was close to him powerful and rich, and she wanted that for her sons. We see it at the end of Jesus's life. The uh, Pilate, who's the Roman governor, right? He, he has the, the choice of what to write that goes over the top of Jesus's cross. And what's he write over Jesus's cross? He writes, here's the king of the Jews. The Roman governor is saying, look out, if you think you are king of the Jews, this is what will happen to you. The religious leaders in, in Jerusalem, they were upset with Pilate for writing, here is the king of the Jews, because they knew just like, uh, well, they knew that Pilate 
was wrong. <laughs> they knew that if, if Jesus was really the king of the Jews, he wasn't going to end up on a Roman cross. Because the real Messiah would never be killed by, by, the, uh, by the Romans. He was going to set up his, his kingdom in, in Jerusalem. He was going to kick the Romans out. Even after Jesus' death and resurrection, the disciples don't get it. At the very beginning of the book of Acts, the disciples, uh, we, we read that the disciples kept on asking Jesus, is this the time that you will establish your throne in Jerusalem and restore our kingdom? They just, they, they still didn't get it, even after Jesus had died and risen from the grave. And so Jesus, he, he began his ministry with these words. The kingdom of heaven is, is near. He, he obviously, he had something in mind different than, than what the people around him had in mind. The people around him had in mind this idea that he would have a throne in Jerusalem, he would be like David, he would be rich and powerful. And, uh, and Jesus never established a kingdom like that. He never, he never raised an army. He never started a war. It seems like everyone around him, though, misunderstood. Everyone around him couldn't figure this out. It, up until, uh, by the way, just as an aside, uh, in Acts chapter 2, God sends the Holy Spirit to the church, and then all of a sudden they get it. They go from, from Acts chapter 1 asking Jesus, are you going to set up your throne now? Um, are you going to kick the Romans out now? And then in Acts chapter 2, after they've received the Holy Spirit, they start saying, Jesus was the Messiah, and you killed him, and he's raised from the dead, and God has glorified him. And they get it. They just, they totally, there's a, a 180 in their understanding of, of Jesus. So Jesus, Mark tells us that Jesus starts, starts announcing and, and his first words, his first words are, are not, the kingdom of heaven is near, pick up a sword and let's fight. Because that's what everybody expected, right? Pick up a sword, let's fight. But Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is near. And what's he say? He says, repent. He says, repent. Um, he says, repent and believe the good news. I want to talk about good news first, and then I'll talk about repent. So the good news, this is like amazing good news that Jesus has come, right? Uh, the, he's, he is saying here, he's, so Jesus is using a specific word. This is like one of the few times that I think it's kind of important to, to share with you a specific word from, from Greek. Mark originally wrote in Greek, and uh, so I'm going to share with you the specific word that he used. He used the word in Greek. It's euangelion. Um, and uh, in, in Greek, uh, it's just the word good and news put together. And it's one compound word. It means good news um, because it's one word, not two. So it's good news. And uh, Jesus comes and he says, believe the good news. The, he used this specific word because this was an important word in the Roman Empire. Um, in the Roman Empire, the good news, the, the euangelion, uh, was Caesar is Lord. So if, if somebody went around telling the good news, 
it was that maybe there was a new Caesar, or Caesar has won a great battle. Caesar is Lord. That's, that's the good news in Rome. And Jesus specifically says, believe the good news, and he takes over that word from the Romans. I love that, by the way. I just think that's so cool. Jesus, like, steals something from the Roman culture, and he says, no, this applies to me. This isn't about Caesar. And there's all kinds of more things that we could do with that, but I got to keep moving. Um, and so he, he says this good news, that believe the good news. Um, and while, while, Jesus, while Jesus preached the good news, and after the disciples understood the good news in, in Acts and received the Holy Spirit, and when they started preaching the good news, um, they, they were announcing that there is this kingdom. There is this kingdom that has come. The good news is that there is a king. And, uh, and it's, it's coming. It's, it's here. It's at hand, but not here at hand. It's, it's now, but not yet. It's, it's really, really close and all through Jesus' ministry, he, he encouraged people. His, his preaching was, seek the kingdom of God. Over and over again, he invited people to experience God's kingdom. He wanted people to know God's kingdom. And, uh, and the people got it sometimes and mostly didn't. Mostly they thought, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll follow you once you're king in Jerusalem. But that was always Jesus's, Jesus's encouragement, was to seek this kingdom, this kingdom that doesn't have borders that you can cross and enter into, this kingdom that has no army to defend it, this, this kingdom that doesn't have a king who sits on a throne here in earth, on earth. Jesus says that this kingdom is near, come and experience it. This kingdom that doesn't issue passports to its citizens so that they can be identified by, by their passports. And so we have to kind of dig into some of Jesus' teaching to understand exactly what the kingdom is. And I, I can't dig too much into Jesus' teaching about the kingdom this morning, but let me just remind you that Jesus was constantly encouraging people to seek it. And, and when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, he taught them with the words, uh, may your kingdom come and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we, we can understand the kingdom. We can understand the kingdom that Jesus was trying to establish as the place where God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. That is God's kingdom. It is the place where God's will is done. And so it's maybe like a little trite or maybe a little obvious, but like the best citizen of God's kingdom, the best person we can point to as a person who lived in God's kingdom is obviously Jesus. Jesus taught what God wanted him to teach. He did what God wanted him to do. At every step of the way, Jesus obeyed God and did God's will. In fact, he, he, there was one time when some religious leaders were fighting with Jesus, and, uh, and he's like, you, you do these crazy things. And, and Jesus says, I don't do anything of my own. 
I only do what I see my, my heavenly father do. I only say what my heavenly father tells me to say. And so Jesus did everything exactly as God would have him do it. He taught exactly the way that God would have him teach. He acted exactly the way God wanted him to act. He constantly was doing God's will. And so, we have this idea in our, in our culture that when somebody does God's will, when somebody acts the way that God calls us to act, that it will mean that we are blessed. And, and our idea of blessing, oh, I don't want to do this. Our idea of blessing is comfort. I'm sorry, I don't want to do this. Uh, our, our idea of blessing is wealth. Our idea of blessing is... Our idea of blessing also looks sometimes like Jesus' life because our idea of blessing looks like whole relationships good relationships. Jesus did exactly God's will. And he died penniless on a Roman cross at a young age. It cost him his life I don't, know, I don't know if I can ask the question, but I'm going to ask the question and God give us grace. What might it cost us? What might it cost you? What might it cost me? What could it cost? can't leave you there. Uh, this morning, as I've been praying, and the guys praying for me this morning, they, I, I, asked, I asked the Lord, show me where, where to leave them. And I can't leave you there. I don't But will you, will you please go with that a little bit? Will you, will you please consider? Don't, don't let the look around your life wondering what it might cost to do God's will. Stop now. In this, in this season of fasting and praying, maybe, maybe this is a time to, to keep asking God. What should it cost?
let me let me just take you to to one area where I think it might there might be might be some cost uh, for us for you and for me. It it might cost us um, a little bit of the culture in which we live. Um, it it might make us it might make us uh, third culture kids um, because. We, we are going to be people who have a heavenly father who tells us about a culture that we don't actually live in. And, and uh, we, we are people who have a heavenly father who, who tells us about the culture we belong in. He tells us about where, where we come from and who we are. He tells us about the, the type of life we ought to live. And so we... Uh, we have this Heavenly Father that is giving us all of this instruction about the, the culture that we, we belong to. And, and then we live in a culture that is, it is different from that. And we become, we become like, like third culture kids. We have gaps. We have gaps in our understanding and knowledge of both the culture that we belong to because our Heavenly Father tells us where we belong and the culture we live in. We don't always get the things about the culture we live in perfectly either because it's not not where our roots are are deeply embedded in in the way that our culture from our heavenly father forms us and shapes us and so our our heavenly father tells us about this culture that that we belong to we're, we're told that in our father's culture that we are blessed when we're poor uh, we're told that in our father's culture we are blessed when people say all kinds of bad things about us because of Jesus. We, we are told that in our Father's culture, we're not supposed to worry. That worry is even a sign that we don't, like, don't belong to our Father's culture, don't understand our Father. We're, we told, we're told to turn the other cheek and not jump up and defend ourselves. We're told that humility and not pride are values of our, of our Father's, Heavenly Father's culture. We're, we're told that uh, patience and not instant gratification are values in our Father's culture. And, you know, we, we don't get all the things right about our Father's culture. Like, there are gaps in our understanding and our ability in our Father's culture. We don't navigate it perfectly. And so Jesus begins his ministry with the word repent. Repent. Repent means to change one's mind. It means to turn a 180, go the other direction. And, and so, like, we, we lived in a different culture for a few years, and we had to repent of some of our North American culture in order to fit. Like, if we didn't repent of the way we thought lines should work, we would have never gotten to the front of a line in Ecuador. Um, I had to repent of, of my idea that I shouldn't kiss women who aren't my wife on the cheek at church, because that's the expectation. I had to kiss all the women in, in church on the cheek in Ecuador. We, we have to... <laughs> We have to repent of certain things from, from one culture in order to fit in the other culture. Jesus tells us, in order to believe the good news, 
you, you must repent. And so, finally, we're, we're back to Lent. We're back to Lent in this idea that this is a season of fasting and praying and reflecting on, on the Lord's work in our lives. And, and part of the reason for our fasting is to ask God, where, where are the areas where I am more shaped by the culture I live in and work in and, and have the majority of my time in? Where are, the, where are the things that are shaping me more from that culture than from your culture, Heavenly Father? Um, and so that's, that's probably a safer place to leave you. That, that's still, that's still um, it's not an easy question. It's a dangerous prayer to ask God to reveal to you. What are the things from your culture that, that aren't kingdom of heaven culture things? It's still kind of scary. And it might take you down roads that you're, you're not quite sure about. But that's my, that's my challenge to you this week. My, my request is that you would consider, where are the things from, from the culture you live in shaping you more than the things from the kingdom of heaven? How is God challenging you to be more a citizen of, a king, of the kingdom than a citizen of this world? Because he is our king. He came announcing it. Get ready. Believe the good news. The kingdom is at hand. Will you stand with me and let me pray for you? Our Heavenly Father, we, mm, we need to repent uh, occasionally because we are more shaped by our culture. We need to repent because we're afraid to ask what it might cost if we were to be completely shaped by, by the culture of the kingdom of heaven, completely shaped by the will of God in our lives. Uh, and and it, it causes us to fear. It causes us to fear what we might have to give up. It causes us to fear how we might have to swallow our pride, live differently, act differently, prioritize differently. It's... Uh, it's scary, Lord. It's scary to us. Your disciples, uh, Jesus' disciples said occasionally, we don't get it. We can't, we can't go that far. And Lord, we, we know that you are calling us to, to follow your will as far as we can to the utmost. And we ask, God, that you would give us the strength and wisdom to do it. And during this season of Lent, we, we open our hearts and our lives to you. We ask you to examine us and to reveal to us the things of, of our earthly culture that shape us more than, than the culture of our heavenly kingdom the place we really belong. Help us desire to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven more than we desire to be citizens of this earth. But help us to live faithfully in this earth. Help us to live in such a way that, 
other folks see see us as citizens of the kingdom and they say, I want to I want to be a part of that kingdom. I want to live like that. We know that it might cost us more than we are comfortable giving up. And we repent of, of our need for comfort. We repent of our desire to preserve ourselves. No, oh God, we, we ask that you would help us to, to hold lightly to the things that, that identify us in this earth. That we would be willing, oh God, willing to do what you call us to do, regardless of the cost. I thank you for each one of my brothers and sisters here this morning. I pray that you would go with them into this week, reminding them of your love and grace and mercy, opening their eyes to your presence with them each and every day, calling them, Lord, to be more and more like Jesus. It is in his name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed.